In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Jesus, help us bring to prayer a concept that is as old as the gospel, but perhaps with a new title. The topic is the new evangelization, a term, if I'm not mistaken, coined by St. John Paul. St. John Paul, first by his example, unveils to us this new evangelization, which is an objective, a vision that totally coincides with the October 2nd, 1928 event when St. Jose Maria saw Opus Dei, even though it didn't have a name, received this charism meant to bring Christ into the heart of the world, into the heart of every family, into the heart of every workplace, into the heart of every sporting event. For the most part, there is an absence of Christ in nations and cultures that are have been traditionally Christian, and obviously in nations and vast populations of people who have never heard about Jesus Christ. In a certain sense, the disciple of Jesus needs to begin again. It's a common experience that even within the heart of her own circle of friends, her own family, there is this absence of Christ. And we need to bring Christ to his rightful place, which is not only the tabernacle, but from the tabernacle to the life of every individual. And we take to heart Jesus' last words, his, his absolute last words, This, these last words recorded in the first chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We reconstruct the scene and we try to reconstruct the sentiments 
of the listeners. These are people who didn't travel beyond a few miles away from their homes or their place of work. For the most part, either they were craftsmen or farmers, shepherds. Added to this is that it was sinful for a Jewish person to mingle with a Gentile. It was uncustomary for a Jew to mingle with a Samaritan, as we notice in the Gospel. And Jesus says, move in concentric circles. He doesn't say, start in Athens, or start in Rome, or start in Ephesus. No, start where you live, where you've converted. Start in Jerusalem and work from there. Lord, enlighten us on this new evangelization. In reality, the new evangelization is the original evangelization. The new evangelization is the oldest evangelization. It seems confusing. But for many centuries since the mid-16th century, since the Council of Trent, which is magnificent inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tour de force, elaboration on the teachings of the Church in response to the Protestant Reformation. And the Holy Spirit moved the Church to, rightfully so, to focus on doctrine, on defending the faith, on reform of the priesthood, of the religious life. And for that reason, the emphasis on the life of contemplation and apostolate or evangelization on the part of the laity was less emphasized given that situation in the church. And the mindset of the layperson was that he or she was expected to go to Mass, pray, pay, and obey, as the saying went. Show up for Mass, go to confession periodically, especially if you find yourself off the right path in the state of sin. Learn your catechism. So there was a time we all new, very complex theological formula, whether it was transubstantiation, sacrament, grace, etc. We had all those formulae memorized. I'm dating myself. If someone felt inclined to do more for God, and I'm grossly generalizing, you would become Franciscan or Benedictine or Jesuit, join a religious order of nuns, become a priest. If you're a hardcore, you'd become a religious. And as a layperson, you were expected just, just to be a good father, good wife, practicing Catholic, foster piety at home, and not that they were off the hook and they were obviously expected to 
be intimately united to Christ, but the emphasis on evangelization would not come to the fore until the Second Vatican Council. And let's contemplate a little bit the history of the church and fit it all in within a half hour. Let's look at the first evangelization. In the first evangelization, as we could discern from reading the New Testament, it was very much the age of the laity. They broke new ground. They were the face of the church. Yes, every Christian recognized the Pope and their bishop and the priests. But the work of evangelization was not restricted to the pulpit or to treatises. Most people couldn't read or write anyway. But the lion's share was through the family, through the workplace. Unfortunately, there was slavery in those days, and Christian slaves did a lot of evangelizing as well. It's interesting to note that in the Eucharistic prayers, or excuse me, the litany of saints in the first Eucharistic prayer, the first list, you have all the early Hall of Famers, you know, the Blessed Mother, St. Joseph, the Twelve Apostles, St. Paul. You have a smattering of popes, uh, a bishop, a couple of bishops, a deacon. John and Paul, tradition has it that they were military officers, and Cosmas and Damien were two physicians. List two, half the lists are basically teenage women who died for their faith. The earliest document, more or less, is a description, an elaborate description of the early church. It's an anonymous letter to an individual by the name of Diognetus. And the writer describes the early church. He describes it by describing the lay people. He says they dressed like everybody else and they had their regional accents and they had different lines of work and they were part of the world. They blended in. It wasn't that they were dropped into the world. They were part of the world. And the writer says that there were some marked differences. I don't know the Greek, but the translation was that they were known by their charity at home, at work, during times of recreation. And the writer's kind of surprised, and he's trying to convince the reader that this is actually the case, that they were chaste. They were faithful to one wife, one spouse. So who knows what went on in those days? Now, we can imagine. So they're known for chastity. And they were known to be courageous. The writer says that they were willing to die for their founder by the name of Christ. And basically were described as an animating force of the empire. The empire was quite, quite vast from England to North Africa, North Africa to Mideast. 
And the church was bare bones as the first 300 years. Virtually there were no monks or nuns. Later on there would be, obviously. It was bare bones. You had a pope. They didn't fare so well. Virtually all of them were martyred. Bishops, many martyred. Priests, not a lot. No churches, no temples, no parish center, no parochial school. The church was a moral entity without any physical trappings. Even mass was sent, was said in bigger homes to fit more people. In different homes, you had the RCIA preparing people to embrace the Catholic faith and be baptized. That was a long process because the elders, the leaders, Christian leaders, wanted to make sure that the person in question was ready and really wanted to because he was, he or she could be arrested and tortured and be at loggerheads with their family, lose their livelihood, and so forth, for 300 years. And they did make a dent, more than a dent. They changed the culture. We are asked to do the same thing. We are asked to put on a repeat performance for our intents and purposes, that new evangelization, even though it wasn't called that, began when St. Jose Maria received that light that the layperson has been drafted back into serious service and he or she or he and she are called to bring Jesus Christ into the heart of their little tiny piece of the world, which is usually family and workplace and social setting. And they are called to be a light of the world. One of the first concepts, notions of discipleship revealed by Jesus. You are the light of the the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're the leaven in the mass. Notice that Jesus doesn't specifically talk about commandments or devotions. It's subsumed in that whole idea of being light and leaven and salt, that by our very presence, by our very witness, Jesus says we will start to change the world. And we make that act of faith, but maybe we don't need to make an act of faith. When someone is joyful and consistently kind and does his or her work well and loves others unconditionally in an habitual way, that person is proving that their product is far superior to the pseudo-jewels, partial goods that this world has to offer, whether those pseudo-gems come in the form of success, of, of appearance, of, of money, of pleasure, of status so forth, that Christ is this treasure hidden in the field. We go back to that early church, and I read a book a number of years ago, even though I knew it already, 
by a sociologist by the name of Rodney Stark. I think that that was the author. And he wanted to explain the phenomenon of the first evangelization because it boggles the mind. You know, these followers of Jesus had so little going for them in terms of the means, in terms of prestige, in terms of influence, in terms of virtue. They're called to change the world that is so hostile, so hedonistic, so violent, so skeptical, so so anti-Christian in custom and attitude. That's the world they were called to change. And this sociologist was intrigued by this. How can this ever be possible? I don't know how much he believed. And he said something that is very much a teaching of St. Maria, which is a teaching of Jesus by example and word, that the early Christians did it one by one. I mean, they didn't take trips to unexplored territories, but they evangelized their family members, spouses each other, siblings, children, friends. And they did it by virtue of one-on-one conversion, one at a time. People came to Mass one at a time. People joined the RCIA, RCIA one at a time. And the author said that for probably more than 200 years it was unnoticed. Yeah, it's one-on-one. It's very slow at the beginning. But he said they sustained it. Because once you became Christian, you were taught or you were convinced that the heart of your vocation as a Christian is to spread the gospel to others. That had been lost for centuries among the laity. It wouldn't occur to them, not through any fault. There was not enough emphasis there. I'm called to evangelize others. I'm not just called to keep my act pure or or simply do my part in practicing my devotions or practicing my faith or forming my family in, in the Catholic faith. I mean, that's a tall order in itself. But being a disciple of Christ is all about bringing the gospel to other people. And those early Christians had that awareness. It wasn't something added on uh, that That was part of the package. That was an essential part of the package. It was the package Jesus revealed. Being salt, being light, being leaven, being the branch of the vine. The early Christians practiced their faith only one way. It wasn't, okay, well, I guess I have to go to Mass on Sunday or I'm expected to do my night prayers. No, when you joined the faith in those days, in those years, you were committed to being a saint or trying to gun for sanctity. Of course, there were heresies then, and people just like, sin was alive and well, even among the Christians. But to be Christian, you had to be all in. And Christ had to be the center. It wasn't one way of living the faith, it was the only way to live the faith. And when St. Maria received his message, 
that was the message. This is the only way to live the faith, that Christ is the center. And that my apostolate, my evangelization, is an overflow of my love, love for Christ. I recall St. John Paul coining the phrase the new evangelization. And when he first coined it, I think he did, but he went through a list of saints who were models of the new evangelization, evangelizers of modern Europe. Now, St. Patrick was one of them, St. Augustine of Canterbury, whole array of saints, St. Boniface, a number of other ones as well. And so he lists them. And in a charismatic moment, he pushed his text aside, started to shout, where are the saints? The church needs saints to the tune of these saints I've mentioned, who were responsible or instruments for that very first evangelization. And so the Holy Father elaborated on what this new evangelization was all about. Let's go back to the October 2nd, 1928 event. The light, St. Maria was simple, but at the same time, it's been elaborated in all his writings, that as we make Christ the center, and everything we do is meant to be a prayer, and part of the Mass, my work, my contradictions, my interactions with others, that my apostolate is based on my love for Christ, and I'm called to be a saint. And I want to be a saint with that holy ulterior motive of being able to spread that gospel. What is a light, but being the light of the world, with small l, I'm radiating the very life of Christ. You are the light of the world. And if we walk with him, we will have the light of life. In the midst of St. Maria's personal meditation that is recorded in Forge that forms a lot of his intimate notes, his, the lights he received in his personal prayer that he recorded, jotted down. And this is point one in Forge, which is very germane to our meditation. We are children of God, bearers of the only flame that can, that can light up the paths of the earth for souls, of the only brightness which can never be darkened, dimmed, or overshadowed. The Lord uses us as torches to make that light shine out. It depends on us that many should not remain in darkness, but walk instead along paths that lead to eternal life. What a challenge. But that challenge comes from Jesus Christ through St. Maria. How do I become part of this new evangelization, which is my Christian vocation? Let's take St. 
John Paul's advice, his counsel, his exhortation, he says it consists, in many of his documents, in contemplating the face of Christ as a way of transmitting that very face of Jesus. He says that the essence of this new evangelization is to reveal the face of Christ superimposed on my face. In terms of Jesus' teaching, what is that all about? The very first catechism left to the apostles was a very simple sentence that condenses everything in the Old, in the New Testament. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the heart of that commandment, that new commandment. As I have loved, you need to be another Christ. You need to love with the heart of Christ imperfectly, but nevertheless with that heart of Christ. And especially for Americans who are very pragmatic and achievement-oriented, there's another phrase in that new commandment. In this way, by the lo- they will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another, by my love you, that you have for one another. That is the heart of the new evangelization. It sounds beautiful, sounds, it sounds simple, but it's completely impossible unless I join my heart with the heart of Christ in prayer and in Eucharistic devotion. I can't be Christ. I can't love with his heart unless I walk with him. And I, I walk with him when I kneel down or sit down in silence over a protracted period of time and speak with him. And by doing that, the Holy Spirit allows Christ's life to rub off on mine. I, the wiring of my heart and soul connect more intimately with the power source and I become a brighter light, a better salt, more powerful leaven on the order of love and goodness. So John Paul says it's contemplating the face of Christ, which is nothing more, nothing less than personal prayer, meditation on the word of God, especially the Gospels and the New Testament, and receiving the actual life of Jesus, the dynamics of his wisdom and love through the Holy Eucharist. How did St. Jose Maria evangelize? As one gentleman said who knew him many decades ago, he said that you felt that God was very close when you were in his presence. Others said, marveled at his capacity to love, expressed in very ordinary ways, in small details. John Paul was befuddled why so many young people would burst into tears. He asked the secretary, what's going on here? Why are they crying? And the secretary said, because of you. And here's where I'll take the liberty to disagree just mildly with 
St. John Paul. He said, well, they, they come to see Peter, not me. Uh, yes, that's not completely true. It's true, but not totally true. They want to see a saint. They've seen a saint. They've seen the face of Christ. Yes, the office of vicar of Christ reveals Christ. But when that vicar personally is so holy and so loving, many people are moved. So we end our prayer, even though we haven't scratched the surface of this new evangelization. We go to the greatest evangelizer, who's the template of the new evangelization. How is that so? She embraces God's will. She gives the Holy Spirit through the angel Gabriel a colossal yes, knowing full well that this vocation of, be, of mothering the Son of God, of ushering God into this world by giving him visibility, human nature, would entail a lot of pain and suffering. She says yes. And as she gives herself totally to God's will, God comes into our world. God becomes very close to us. He is near us. The Holy Spirit would bring about this incarnation, but only through the sanctity of this woman of Nazareth, this teenage woman of Nazareth. That's the template. I embrace Christ. I embrace his will. I pursue holiness. And as a consequence, I bring Jesus Christ into the world in a new way, revealing his face through my witness. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.